When I was a kid, I wanted to be a comedian, and now I'm a comedian. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. Starting comedy in Atlanta, Georgia, and now based in Los Angeles, Neil Nanda has performed all over the country with some of comedy's biggest acts. Neil has most recently performed stand-up on ABC's Jimmy Kimmel Live and has acted and performed on Comedy Central's Adam Devine's House Party. In 2018, he was a featured comedian on Amazon Prime's Inside Joke with Asif Ali. Neil has also made notable appearances on MTV and IFC's Garfunkel and Oates show. Other networks where you can catch his stand-up comedy include Hulu's Coming to the Stage and several episodes of the series Flophouse for Viceland, directed by Lance Bangs. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Neil. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, happy to have you. And I always like to start by asking my guests, Physically, what does it look like to do your craft? So in the case of stand-up, do you, when you're collecting your jokes, do you have a notebook? Do you like to use voice notes on your phone? Do you like to use the notes app? What does it look like when you're putting together your material? So I do use a notes app. Um, you know, as a comic, we're coming up with material constantly. So the phone is the most accessible thing. And so I have a notes app where I just write down a few words of a premise uh, if i think of a joke or something funny like oh this could be a joke um i write down a few words and into uh my notes app which has hundreds and hundreds of premises and then when i sit down to write i write every day i sit down for about two hours a day i go through those notes and expand on those things and a lot of times i'll read them and go why did i think that was funny <laughs> and a lot of times i'll look at i'll scroll up a month later and go Oh, that actually is funny. I can use that. So it's it's a good um, it's a good like it's a plethora of premises. So whenever I'm having writer's block or can't think of any jokes, I go to the app. There's a little over a thousand premises, I believe, in mine. I think I have like eleven hundred premises in there, and I just literally scroll like with one finger and just scroll up to like three eighty two, and I go, all right, I'm gonna write a joke about that today. So you keep all these premises in one note and then nothing gets deleted, really. You just will keep them there. And then later when you revisit, sometimes something will spark for you. Absolutely. Um, I keep them all there. And then I have I actually write out material in uh, notebooks Uh, like so physically what it looks like is a lot of people are like, oh, do you write your bits out word for word? You never really want to write your bits out word for word because comedy it's meant to sound and feel natural. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't want to, you can't, that's why artificial intelligence can't do comedy yet. There's no way. I mean, they could probably tell like dad jokes. That'd be yeah. kind of funny. If you're like a <laughs> robot, like, you know, fucking do like, oh, what's the best time to go to the dentist? Tooth, hurdy, <laughs> or whatever, you know, that'd be cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, comedy is all about timing and uh, joke telling is all about being natural and authentic. So basically, um, you know, I write down the the beats, which are the premise and the punchline and the tags. And uh, what I do is like, you know, for example, like the premise uh, may be like, um, you know, my, my dating feeding joke. Like, I don't know if I'm dating girls, if I'm just feeding girls. 
so that that's the introduction of the joke which i always like to start the premise with a joke i, I always love coming in the first line being a joke so that's like the premise and then i write down the tags where i'm like you know i don't know if i'm dating girls or if i'm feeding girls like i've been feeding this girl for for three years you know that's the tag um it, i'm in a committed feeding another tag and then uh so i write down just those lines and then every time i go on stage i tell them differently i i'm just like okay so that's the basically what the the mechanics of it but i don't write it out word for word i go like feeding dating or feeding and then i'll write down like um committed feeding or like blah blah, blah. so like then i can figure out the most natural way to say these phrases when you're testing a bit like that out I imagine sometimes, you know, something you came up with that you probably feel really confident about and you find funny, you might try it out and it might not initially get the reaction you were expecting. I'm always Mm -hmm. curious, like, how do you know at what point to just move on or if it needs more time? Maybe it's working, but I just didn't deliver it properly in that set. That's Uh, really tough. It's really tough. I mean, I kind of evaluate how much I like the joke and how much I believe in the joke at that point. So I do have a lot of jokes that where I'm, I believe in it. And then I try it out a few times and then I kind of lose, I go, you know, maybe that shit's not funny. Maybe that's not, maybe that shit's not never going to work. And then there are bits, there's a specific bit I'm thinking of. I've tried for months and I think it's the funniest thing on the fucking planet and people, it, it worked, it, it worked in New York because it's a, uh, it's a pedophile joke and there are a lot of pedophiles in New York. So that, you know, it's relatable there. Uh, for, I don't know why it worked in New York. It fucking murdered in New York. But um, it's a joke that I believe in so much and works so rarely. But I know, I know in my soul, it's a, it's a phenomenal joke. So <laughs> that, I, some jokes I don't give up on, man. But like, and I, I really believe in my, I, I think that's one of the jokes where like, when I figure it out, people are going to go, that's fucking, that's, that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant joke, but I just haven't figured out the words, the timing, the I, I keep trying to cut it shorter, and I don't think that works. Maybe I'll make it longer. Maybe I'll add more tags. Maybe it'll, there'll be more misdirection. I don't know. I really believe in it. But then there are some jokes that I'll try two, three times and go, yeah, that was dumb as hell. Why did I even think that was funny? You know? Yeah. So it really, it really comes down to how much I believe in the joke and how much I believe in the premise. A lot of times I'll believe in something enough to try it on stage. And some, there, there are times where I'm like, I semi-believe in a joke where I'm like, oh, this could work. And then it destroys. And I'm mm. like, oh, shit, really? That? Okay. All right. Fuck it. I guess that, that's great. But there, then there are times where I really believe in a joke and it just fucking bombs. So it's, it's really – it's not an exact science. And it took me a long, long time to realize that because I'm Indian and I like science. So I was out here <laughs> – I was out here calculating decibels of laughter and shit and fucking, okay, well, this gets an applause break 87% of the time. It's, it's not an exact science. I really tried to make it a science when I first, my first few years in comedy, I was like, all right, well, this gets this much of a laugh and this ball, you know, and I really tried to like take the data in and all that shit. And the longer I've done it, the more I've realized it's, it's just not, it's art, you know, it's, it's subjective. Uh, it's going to vary from – there's too many uh, variables. It's yeah. going to vary from uh, city to city, country to country, internet to real life. To There's too many variables for you to go, well, this is how to do comedy. You just yeah. got to go with what you believe in. 
you know? I love what you're saying about it being art and not science. And one of the things I especially enjoyed about having seen you perform is the way you incorporate music into your act for certain bits, which also is an di entirely different art, but you found a way to blend it in a cool way that I found really funny. And I wonder, as you're coming up with jokes, do you have a process where you think, okay, this might this might actually work better to like the part of the piano bit I do versus mm. this is probably best served with me saying it aloud normally. Do you have those kinds of thoughts or how does that work for you? No, yes and no. I write, well, the thing is, it's difficult for me to do stand up on stage and do one liners uh, in the middle of my act because I, I tell like stories and talk about my family and blah, blah. And then for me to just go, oh, by the way, here's a one liner about jizz is really weird. <laughs> You know, it, it it doesn't really fit in the in the act. So I write a lot of one liners. And when I first started comedy, I only wrote one liners. So it's like a it's almost like a passion of mine. It's almost like, a, you know, nostalgic for me. And I do just randomly I'll come up with a one liner or a dumb joke. And I'll write that down. I feel like that goes very well with music. And um, th there is a lot of comics all like to pretend there's no like correlation between comedy and other things but there absolutely is a correlation between comedy and music because music is all about timing it's all about time you can't play the drum off beat and have the piano doing three four while the you know guitar is doing four four you know it's all about timing so the thing that makes comedy and music go well together is the timing of the music and the timing of the comedy and something I, I've always loved, I've loved seeing, you know, people like Dimitri Martin or Bo Burnham or Zach Galifianakis find the, the right timing with comedy. There is absolutely a, how, how, how you say hack way to do it where you're just rhyming words. Yeah. That's, you know, um, I don't love that. I don't hate it. I, I, hey, you know, if you, if that's how you get the bag, go for it. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to tell anybody not to do anything or one way is wrong one way is right but um you know there's one way to do it where you just rhyme words and the rhymes are funny and people love it and people give you money that's awesome but uh i specifically i i, I respect and and admire comics who are able like galfinakis and Bo and dimitri martin and uh comedians like that who are able to find the timing within the music and that to me is more skillful so I've started playing like jazz with my one-liners. I think it's I think jazz and jizz jokes are the funniest combination to me. I'll, I'll attest to that having seen it live. It definitely worked for me in the backyard yeah, show, and I got I got to fun. see that. <laughs> it's I really mean, fun for me. I mean, I I saw you do that that bit in a backyard, and I it makes me think like I've heard a lot of comedians talk about how weird it is to perform outdoors compared to indoor venues that they're accustomed to. Have you found have you found like that you're doing anything different when you're performing outdoors or is it pretty much for you the same in practice as if you were at an indoor venue? So, like I said, it's not an exact science um, earlier and that's another variable. So you have to um, you have to adjust to every diff to every different environment outdoors. I'd, I'd say I'm a little louder. I'm more physical maybe bigger because there's too there's a lot of distraction outdoors you know there's a lot of uh, other noises smells sounds people walking around trees you know grass you know there's just way more distraction than if you're in a theater and the, there's a spotlight and one focus on you 
So um, outdoors is a different variable. I, you know, whether it's more difficult, it's just different, you know, and um, I, I do think that you have to adjust to every environment. So yeah, I, I guess I do do a little bit. Uh, I am a little different. Uh, my goal with, you know, there are comedians that will perform on certain in certain venues, like, oh, I only do clubs, or I only do theaters, or I only do uh, alternative shows, or I only do backyard shows, or I only do shows for my culture, or whatever. I'm a big fan of doing every single type of show possible. My girlfriend disagrees with me, because there are some <laughs> shows that I know for a fact, I, I go into certain shows going, they're going to hate me, and I'm going to come home upset, and my girlfriend's like, don't go. I'm like, well, I want to win them over just because I want to be versatile enough to win every room over. And then I inevitably come home like, ah, oh, they fucking hated me. And she's like, I told you not to go. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I feel like I'm getting better because of it. I'm, I'm like, they don't, sometimes it's like, hey, they didn't hate me that much. And she's like, well, I mean, I, I guess. And she's like, you know, she's like, you're still upset. And I'm like, yeah, they still hated me, but less. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, speaking, so, uh, of di speaking of different environments, you've done a set on Jimmy Kimmel, which is also very different from being at a club like the Laugh Factory or a backyard show and not just the venue, but also a lot of times the content. You can't go super blue, super mm -hmm. crass on a show like that. Not that you are. I don't remember you being that crass. Um, no, I don't no. think I'm super <laughs> yeah. crass either. I'm fairly clean. I would say generally I'm PG, PG-13. Yeah. Um, but I do have some dirty stuff, and I can throw that in if I feel like it, um, depending on the environment, like Vegas or something. You know, like they, they don't – you don't go to a Vegas comedy show expecting to hear, like, well, my dad's weird. You know, they want <laughs> – they want right. to hear like, yeah, and then fucking she shit on my chest. And I was like, all right, it's my birthday or whatever. You right. know, that's actually a good punchline. I'll write that down. So, <laughs> so but I'm, I'm curious, like when you were going into the set for Kimmel, did you do anything special for preparing for that kind of gig? Or, or, did, or so, did you just kind of have like, you know, material that you worked out in clubs and then you distilled it to five minutes that you thought was good? So. What's interesting is, um, you know, with late night, it's, it's interesting. I wish, and not only do I wish I had somebody give me some advice prior, I did have one person give me great advice. I didn't take, uh, Roy Wood Jr. Who's a very, uh, funny and successful comic. He's on the daily show and he has a few specials on comedy central. He's on every late night possible. And I called him and I said, you know, Hey man, like what, what's your advice? He saw my clip and he gave me like little notes here and there. And he goes, but at the end of the day, it's just a set. You're doing comedy for people who want to hear comedy, whether it's, you know, on television, whether it's clean, whatever. He goes, treat it like a normal set and have fun. Just have fun. I forgot to have fun. I was so <laughs> nervous. I forgot. I didn't think about his have fun. And I think it came across a little bit. I was a little nervous and I was trying to stick. Okay. I'm, you know, you're, you're in a stringent time slot too. They're like, you have to be, they have, they have like a timer. You know, you got to be off stage at this specific time and you have to do these specific jokes in this order with the specific words that we approve. They literally you have to yeah. send them a transcript of your set and you can't you can waver like a word or two or like a sentence or something. But you have to stick with it. And you have to do those jokes in that order. You can't do specific tags. Like I had tags that they uh, didn't approve. So I had to cut out some parts of jokes. So I was so in my head about that that I felt like 
uh, my, I felt like my performance could have been better. I didn't hate my performance. I thought it was fine. But in retrospect, I wish I had more fun and I wish I was just, you know, per performing like a normal set. Um, it is different and you do have to go through producers and um, the network and lawyers to approve your material. Um, but yeah, it, it generally came from material. You know, I had hours of material and then I found five minutes that I thought was a good way to introduce myself and that was clean and flowed well together so i put that all together and um yeah it was it was really cool man and kimmel was uh the coolest dude on the planet he was so nice he met my family um he told my family that i was funny that was a huge win uh they'd never heard that before from anybody <laughs> and uh my favorite was I saw Kimmel um, watching my set while I was up there, you know, because he introduced me and then he like stood to the side and he watched my set and I could see him laughing. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm making Kimmel laugh. And then at the end, he came up and, you know, he's like, thank you guys, Neil Nada, blah, blah, blah. And this sucks because on the show, the camera just like pans out. And it's like yeah. executive <laughs> producer, Jimmy Kimmel, blah, blah, blah. But he started laughing and we started talking and he was like cracking up. But he goes, is that? is that joke about pajamas true? Is there really a guy named pajamas? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man. I mean, that's actually, that joke is actually true. A friend of a friend, you know, when you're hanging out with friends, you're like, oh, what's the dumbest person you've met? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I met this. Cause I grew up with a girl named Shatanya, which is literally shit on ya. <laughs> and I thought that was a hilarious. I thought that was the funniest one. And then my friend was like, no, dude, I know a dude named pajamas. He spells it P-A-J-A-M-A. -A -A. He spells it pajamas. And I was like, oh, that's the dumbest thing. And I was like, I got to write that. That's so funny. So I, admit, I wrote that down. Did you ever get an explanation as to what the significance was to his family and giving him that name? Or you just, you just enjoy No, it I was just like, that's the dumbest name I've ever heard. <laughs> and I wrote it down. And I was like, I got to make a joke out of this. That's and, awesome. Uh, we had a, there was another one. Oh, this is another one that's so funny. I'm, this may become a joke at some point. There's a guy, uh, this is a real guy in LA who is a car salesman or repairman. His name is Dick Savage. His name is Dick Savage. His name is Dick Savage. And what's crazy about that is it's not. His name is Richard Savage. All right. He chose to go by Dick Savage. He was like, you know what? Fuck that birth certificate. I'm Dick Savage. Go by rich savage and now we're talking about him i don't know if we talk about him if he just went by richard savage free advertising dick savage <laughs> dick You're savage right. maybe, maybe that's the maybe that's the plan maybe yeah that's what it is like, oh, everyone's gonna, gonna be talking about dick savage i, I just right. remember when i was when i was in school there was a substitute teacher who's who actually his last name was dick so he was mr dick um which as you can imagine to third graders Oh, that's yeah. that's that's Hilarious. just too much that's amazing much. like <laughs> you can't be a substitute teacher you for can't third graders and so you i remember like a, a few weeks he that chose guy, that yeah yeah a few weeks that guy came back again and then he wrote his name on the board but this time it was mr richards um so oh. he was like he was done he was done taking shit from third graders <laughs> he had had enough <laughs> was his name was his last name actually dick or was it richards i think it was actually dick because when he first started substituting oh. he went by mr so he just dick. changed it he just changed he did the opposite. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he did a reverse savage. Wow. He did a reverse <laughs> savage. All right. Um, That's funny. But I mean, speak, going back to the concept of delivering uh, comedy in different forms, different venues, 
now I think a big way that you and you and other comedians engage with your audiences and grow them is through social media. So mm-hmm. Twitter, Instagram, I think you do a great job of showcasing your material. I'm curious if you have any specific thought that's gone into it. Obviously, there's like a clear layout. If somebody's going through Instagram, like I can, if I'm scrolling, I know when I see a Neil Nanda post just because of how mm-hmm. you've stylized it. Um, but I'm wondering if you, if you put any special thought and any, any things that you've, uh, you found worked very well for you, whether it comes to Twitter or Instagram. So, I mean, Instagram was a great way for me to get my, uh, comedy out there. I was putting out a clip a week for a little over a year and, uh, I, I dropped a little over two, two and a half hours or so of material on YouTube and Instagram and, um, it was a great way for people to get to know me. I mean, I, I grew a big following and uh, started selling tickets to shows and selling out venues and booking bigger venues. And it was a really, a really cool. And I only thing is I, w- I, I do wish I had done it earlier because I was holding on to so much material and so much footage because I was like, well, I mean, when I get a special, I can't, you know, everyone's gonna be like, I've already seen all that material, but how do you get a special? You got to build a following. You got to build a fan base. You have to, uh, cultivate an audience. You have to get people eyes on you, you know? And what's interesting is um, everything that I wanted late night and comedy central and um, something I, I signed an NDA for, I can't talk about, which is very exciting. Um, that's it's coming up in the future. I I've always wanted, and I didn't get it until I started putting myself out there and started dropping material and putting out the material, I was always afraid, one of my biggest fears, and you can't, you know, and it's okay to be afraid, but you got to fight these fears. One of my fears was, if I put all this material out, I'm going to run out of material and have nothing to say when people come to my shows and they're like, oh, he's doing the same shit he did online. Like, what am I doing? But what I learned very quickly was the every time I put out something online, I was like, all right, I got to write a new bit because this week I put out something that I've been holding on to for six months or a year or, or a year and a half or whatever. Now I got to, I got to replace that with something. So what it did was over the course of that year, it forced me to write. And I was frantically writing constantly because I was like, I can't, I, people are buying tickets to my shows. I can't just give them the same act. So I was writing constantly and it made me so much better because of that fear. That fear drove me to evolve so much because I had to. I think a lot of this business and I think a lot of entertainment in general is do something you're not ready for and rise to the occasion. I think that is a huge part of the entertainment industry. You get your first acting job is your first. You're not ready, but rise to the occasion. Take classes, prepare, memorize the shit out of the thing, whatever, blah, blah. You get your first headlining weekend. You've never done an hour before. You don't even know if you have an hour of material. You're like, I think I have 48. Uh, What the fuck? Rise to the occasion. Do some crowd work. You know, mess around. Add some tags. Have some fun. Rise to the occasion. I, I think that's a big, big, big part of this industry. That's really Nobody's resonant. Ready. Yeah, no, that, that's that's super resonant for me because I'm I'm in the TV writing world and I I was I was an assistant on a couple different shows and I got to be in writers rooms which was really special and had an opportunity recently to co-write my first ever script with an awesome upper level writer. That's awesome. Thank you. And I mean it, it's so interesting because in the TV writing world and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before but it's like 
you come into a writer's room as a PA. So you're trusted to like get coffees and stock the fridge with Coke. And if you right. can do that, then they trust you to do this entirely different skill set until you right. get bumped up to writing a script. But it's never like the thing before never quite prepares you for the thing that follows. So what you're saying about right. rising to the occasion, I found has been true, not just in my own creative work, but what you're saying in stand up and in other creative field is like at some point an opportunity comes and it's like, I, I had never written, you know, a professional script before, but I'd been around it, gave myself a chance to just like, you know, enjoy it. And, and I had, you know, when you're in the situation you're in where you've been around comics and I've been fortunate to be around writers, have people we can lean on for help here and there. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's cool to hear that. And it's, it's nice to know that that's not just true in, in one aspect of art um, but across across different fields. So I think that's very important. I think important. so. I think in entertainment yeah. in general, I think they're always you're always going to get opportunities you're not ready for. And you can either be afraid and cower and pass on the opportunity, or you can uh, take the opportunity and, and fail and learn from it, or you can rise to the occasion. And I, I prefer to rise to the occasion. There have been, I remember the first time I had to do an hour was a college show in 2015, I believe it was about six years ago. I'd never done an hour before. I had done 20, 30 here and there. I had done 25s. I'd done, you know, maybe a 35 at some point, but they were like, you have to do an hour contractually. And I show up to the venue. I was like, so like 45 do an hour. And they were like, no, you got, you got to do an hour. So <laughs> I remember sitting in my hotel room about six hours before the show. I had a gigantic piece of notebook paper, like one of those like art pay pads. I wrote down every single joke I'd ever thought of in my life, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? I got I to gotta, I gotta figure this out. I was like, I think that's at least 49. And then I could like ask kids like what they're studying and I could, you know, do some crowd work. And then I get there and I have this gigantic notepad, put it on the, um, the stool. And I start going and I start looking at the, the notes less and less as I go on. I just start having fun. And I ended up doing an hour and 20 minutes because I was just having a good time. And I was just like, you know what? I can do this. I can rise to the occasion. I don't need to. I did over prepare by writing everything, memorize everything, figuring out all my tags and segues and blah, blah, blah. But I ended up just having fun and, and then realizing, you know what? I got this. I can do this. You know? That's awesome. I mean, lastly, before before we go ahead into rapid fire questions, you brought up performing at colleges, which I've heard that some comedians are actually a little more hesitant to do now because sometimes you make a joke and if it doesn't land, college students will let you know in a very can let you know in a very forceful way. And I mean, that the same is true of even, you know, writing something on Twitter, right? If you write something that people vehemently disagree with, they won't keep it a secret um, and that that can have certain implications. Do you. Do you ever find yourself wrestling with, you know, this is something that makes me laugh, but I don't think, I don't think it's right to put out there. Or have you found do, your style of comedy doesn't, doesn't run into those problems nearly as much. So I, um, my, my style of comedy generally doesn't run into those problems as much. And there's a school of thought with comedians where they're like, you know what? It's my material. I'm going to say it. I'm just, I don't give a shit. And I'm like, Hey, I'm a professional. If I take a job somewhere and the requirement is, hey, like I did a show for Mormons recently and I was like, they were like, you got to be squeaky clean. They're Mormons. 
And I was like, all right, how much does it pay? And they were like, this much. I go, that's enough for me to be squeaky clean for Mormons, you know? So colleges pay really well. And the, the whole debate and debacle was like people like Seinfeld and Chris Rock were like, I'm not performing at colleges anymore. I'm like, yeah, you're billionaires. You don't need to perform <laughs> right. at colleges anymore. I will because the checks are fantastic. And to the comedians that will say like, oh, I don't care. I'm just going to speak my truth, do my material, be true to myself. Hey, man, maybe don't take the job. Okay, if you're going to complain about the consequences, yeah. don't take the. If you're going to be true to yourself, I'll, go do that at a bar in Brooklyn. Go do that <laughs> at, a, at, a show, at a club in Silver Lake. Go do that in your backyard. Go do that at a show where you drew your fans who know what you're all about. Don't go to a college where they go, hey, man, here's five grand. These are college kids. They're sensitive. Keep it PG-13. You can talk about sex. You can probably hear all the rules. If somebody gives you five grand says follow all the rules, follow all the rules. It's not that hard. And when, <laughs> when, you, when you're Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock, you get to complain that you don't, oh, I'm never going to do that again. You don't have to. You're, you're doing the fucking, you know, the forum and shit. You, you don't have to do that anymore. You're doing Radio City Music Hall. Why do you need to go to a college? You know, I think it would be weirder if you did go to college show <laughs> at that point. So I, I, I do understand the debate and everything. I, and I do think that um, I do think that there is some validity in comedians saying that college students can be too sensitive because I've heard some of the jokes that get pushback at, at college shows. And I'm like, oh, come on, like chill. But at the same time, I play it safe because you're paying me. Uh, you're going to write an article about me. That's going to be on the internet forever, probably, you know, even if it's, you know, way someone's going to find it on Google at some point. And uh, also I want, if you're paying me well, I want to set up a good relationship with you. Hey, if this guy did a great job, he followed the rules. We paid him. Let's bring him back next year for more money, you know? So I, I try to be professional. And if I don't feel like I want to do that, I can turn it down, you know? If you don't feel like, oh, these college kids are too sensitive, blah, 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 then just say, I don't want to do – it's all right. Thank you for the offer, but I'm going to go yell obscenities at a bar in Brooklyn, <laughs> you know? Right. You can make that choice. That's up to you. <laughs> that makes sense. I like I like the way you frame that. And, I mean, one of the things in general I, I admire about your material is is how accessible it is. I think, you know, I could – I, I get a great laugh out of it, but I could also show it to my dad, who's who can be a tough critic for uh, for certain comedic acts, and I think he would appreciate it just as much as me, and we'd have a good laugh together. And I think there's something special about that. I don't I don't think yeah. uh, I don't have anything against crass comedians, but I especially like comedians who I can appreciate in greater contexts. So I, I enjoy your act for many reasons, but that's that's one of them. Oh, thanks, man. And <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I, I I like all facets of comedy. That's one misconception I find about uh, comedians who are generally cleaner. They're like, oh, this clean comic, he only likes clean comics. I love dirty, dirty, disgusting. I love Patrice O'Neill and uh, Bobby Kelly, and uh, you know, I love some of these dirty, dirty, disgusting acts. They, they really hit me in my core sometimes. And I go, um, Jim Jeffries early stuff where he's talking about a vibrating egg in his ass and like just <laughs> some of the most disgusting shit really it hits me to my core and I really love it. It's just not who I am. Yeah. And I think that the biggest part of comedy is just being authentic to who you, I don't put eggs in my ass. Like I'm not that guy. 
I hear a lot of stories from comedians and I, I'm like, I love it. And I think it's hilarious, but I'm not that guy, dude. I'm, yeah. I'm in the, I go to bed at 10. Like I'm good. dude. <laughs> you have fun with your egg, man. I'm going to sleep, you know? Well, being authentically you has worked out very well and we've all appreciated it. So I, I like that. I, and, and hopefully you, you feel compelled to continue on that path because we, we all really enjoy it. Oh, thanks, man. Do you, do you have rapid fire questions for me? Yes, let's do it. So let's firstly, it. what's an app that you can't live without? An app that I can't live without? Uh, Instagram, probably. Who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? Ooh, who would I like to play me? Um, uh, Ryan Reynolds. If you could I wake know, up to... a weird choice. I like it, he's... though. You're actually the second person on the podcast to say that. That's awesome. He's hilarious. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Who one skill or ability? Um, man, that's a tough one. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm pretty musically talented, but I'd love to be like really, I'd love to be like Mozart, you know, or like uh, I'd love to be like Herbie Hancock or something tomorrow. I would love to wake up tomorrow and just be able to like rip the jazz piano. Where's a place that you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Um... Uh, Australia. I've been wanting to go to Australia for a, a little, for a minute. I went to Italy recently, which was like a huge bucket list item for me. Greatest country I've ever visited. It lived up to all the hype that I had in my head. Um, and I, I have some hype for Australia. I've heard good things. And what's a song you like to jam to right now? What's a song I like to jam to right now? Oh, this is going to be silly as hell. Uh, there's a new SpongeBob movie. And the SpongeBob soundtrack has this song by Sway Lee, Tyga, and Lil Mosey called The Krabby Step. And at first, I thought it was just kind of funny and silly. And now I'm like, this song bangs. <laughs> All right. It's a good well, song. Check out The Krabby Step. All right. And uh, lastly, where can people check out your work and keep up with you on social media? You know, the usuals, Twitter, Instagram, uh, there's a Facebook page that I, I have not updated or posted on in probably six months to a year. Um, and then I'm on Clubhouse now, and that's kind of fun. I'm having a good time there. So just wherever, at Neil Nanda everywhere. I'm also doing some Twitch stuff, and uh, I'll be back on the road soon. So follow me, and I'll awesome. let you know where I'm at. Great. And if you're curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Neil, thank you, man. Comedians sometimes struggle to decipher how they do what they do. And you actually, it was really refreshing to hear you break it down in a cool way. And it's always good to talk to you. Oh, for sure, man. Thank you for having me, man. Of course.